0: Hey, gang. My name is Michael Lush, and I'm on with the real Jason Duncan, his podcast. And in this episode, we talk about the root of all success. What does it mean to be an entrepreneur in today's marketplace? What are the obstacles? How do we view that? What should our mindset be? And this was a great conversation. I've been very honored and privileged to be on Jason Duncan's uh, podcast, the real Jason Duncan, not the fake ones out there. So if you also want to know the root of all success, please chime in, not only on this episode, but every episode subsequently, as these entrepreneurs collectively give you golden nuggets of how to achieve that that success and what is the ultimate root of it. Take care. God bless.
1: Welcome to the root of all success with the real Jason Duncan a podcast that explores how the world's most powerful entrepreneurs unlocked success and how their stories can help you do the same. A successful educator turned entrepreneur, Jason has built multi-million dollar businesses that have been featured in Inc. Magazine and Entrepreneur Magazine. His life's mission now is helping entrepreneurs live what he calls hashtag the exit lifestyle. Introducing TEDx Speaker, Mastermind Leader, Author, Entrepreneur, Cigar Aficionado, Motorcycle Enthusiast, and Host of The Root of All Success, The Real Jason Duncan. The The Real Jason Duncan.
2: Welcome back to another episode of The Root of All Success. I am your boy, Jason Duncan, The Real Jason Duncan. You can call me JD. I'm here today with Michael Lush on the show, and this guy, is it's really interesting how I met him and what he is going to be able to share with us today on the podcast is probably going to change your life forever, at least your financial life, because this stuff is what we all deal with. It's like, how do you get your mortgage paid off in as little as five to seven years and without having to make any more money? But before I get into this information about Michael and do a full introduction of him, I want to let you know that how grateful I am that you watch and or listen to the show. If you're just listening to this on Spotify or iTunes wherever you listen to it, know that I've got a YouTube channel at youtube.com/slash the real Jason Duncan, and there's a playlist dedicated specifically to the root of all success that you can ta- tag in there anytime. and Watch any of our shows that I've done, and this is episode number 207. So there's 206 more of these guys that you can go back and listen as I interview very successful entrepreneurs about how they became successful, and then more importantly, how you can use what they've learned to make yourself more successful. So let me tell you about today's guest. Michael Lush is the founder and CEO of Replace Your University. It's an education firm that specializes in real-world tactical financial strategies that teach thousands of Americans how to get ahead and stay ahead. And he works with people like executive pastors, CEOs of major corporations, bank executives, mortgage executives, best-selling authors like yours truly. Uh, and most of all, a lot of blue-collar, wonderful American people right here at, around around you and around me. So before he dedicated his full-time efforts to leading results, uh, re- leading Replace Your University, he was a 17-year veteran of the mortgage industry. He's a loan officer, senior executive, and as he's going to tell in his story today, he he had a really interesting run in with a billionaire who kind of schooled him on this this thing that he now says that a mortgage is financial crack to middle America. So are you addicted? <laughs> you probably are. So he is the best-selling author of the book, Replace Your Mortgage, How to Pay Off Your Home in Five to Seven Years on Your Current Income. And he's going to tell us all about that today. He's a dedicated family man. He's got five boys has a small farm here in the middle Tennessee area loves hanging out with them teaching them about faith family finances and freedom you're going to learn all about Michael Lush and uh, I'll talk about how I met him in just a second let's welcome Michael to the show Michael good to see you my man thanks for having me well uh, so so I'm a member of the standard club in Nashville and I was down there one night this is several months ago and um, got to talking with a guest of one of the other members and your name came up because they know that I'm a business coach and I speak a lot about money and different things. And and he said, do you know Michael Lush? I'm like, no, never heard of him. (laughs) And he said, well, you really need to look into him. And he started giving me this pitch about how to use HELOCs, home equity lines of credit to pay off your mortgage faster. And I said, that's very interesting. I don't know anything about that. And so from that day forward, I've been trying to seek seek you out and find you. And so we finally got introduced. um, And here we are. I was on your show. You've got a podcast. You talk about a little bit, but uh, now here we are talking about this in front of my audience. So I love the way stuff like that works. And we're right here in the Nashville area together too. So, Mm -hmm. so how's uh, how's life been for 2023 for you, man? It's been our best year
0: yet. Um, You know, it always comes with a double edged sword because, you know, when when you look at things, you're like, okay, best year yet. You should, you know, look at that with joy and and some people may even look at it with complacency, but I, I kind of look at it like there was a lot left in the tank. So good year for us, best year we've ever had. 2024 is probably going to be even better, um, but still a lot left in the tank and a lot
2: more that we can accomplish. Well, by the time this airs, we'll, we'll already be a couple of weeks into uh, 2024, so you have been doing Replace Your University, what we're going to talk about today, for how long? When did you When did you start this idea of teaching people how to use HELOCs? Yeah, it was 20, 2014. Uh, really, I started
0: doing it prior to 2014 because I was doing it myself three years prior to, or really two and a half years prior to 2014. So I was telling friends, families, coworkers, and whatnot about this, but I, it wasn't a business. It didn't become a business until 2014. Um, and it started, actually started off as Evict the Banks. <laughs> um, and I still have a domain, EvictaBanks.com, which I've just redirected to Replace University. And as we started, you know, getting some affiliation with banks, they weren't too happy with that name. Um, so, like, okay, we need to come up with a different name. So we came up with Replace Your Mortgage. And it's still Replace Your Mortgage. It's just one subsidiary underneath Replace University. Replace University has Replace Your Mortgage, Replace Your Employer, Replace Your Banker, which is now being rebranded to Replace Your Retirement, which is an insurance agency. Replace Your Dollar, which gets into day trading, how to profit pro- profitably and with reduced risk, trade the markets. Uh, And then Replace Your Mindset, which is probably one of my favorites, believe it or not, uh, which is more of a, I wouldn't really call it business coaching. It's more of a mindset coaching. Um. Whether you're a business owner or if you're an entrepreneur, if you're, you know, CPA or financial planner or anything, just somebody that you feel like you, you've kind of hit the mountaintop and now you've gotten complacent. Uh, we have a program that kind of pushes your your limits or what you think your limits are and what your limiting beliefs are and pushes you further. So uh, we, there's five subsidiaries underneath Replace University.
2: So 10 years, man. Congrats. Mm-hmm. Decade. Thank Decade. you. This. that's that's a feat that most people never ever accomplish and i don't think people like us who have businesses that are over 10 years old don't we don't realize how big of a deal that is because we don't hey All i'm right. just doing doing what i do every day well, how do you think you were able to make it for 10 years yeah I,
0: I i stumbled into my passion um which is weird because i was just talking to a college buddy of mine who was a college teammate of mine and you know i'm helping him out with, with a couple things. And I was like, man, do you remember the name of our corporate finance uh, professor in college? And he told me the name. And I remember the last name, but I didn't remember the first name. I was like, I wonder if he's still around. He's like, I don't know. I was like, he would be baffled that one of his worst students is now essentially doing this as a living. Because I had to take it twice. The first first time around, uh, flunked it miserably. Uh, but yeah, you know, the second time around, it ended up passing, but uh, I, I gave him some, some issues because I, I just didn't pay attention. And, and quite honestly, in college, I did just enough to stay eligible. High school is a little different, straight A student, but in high school, or I'm sorry, in college, it was, uh, yeah, let's just do enough to stay eligible. And, uh, yeah, so he would be amazed at what I now do for a living is, uh, what, what he used to teach, which quite frankly, I, I'll be somewhat, uh, transparent and honest about this. What, what I teach. I didn't learn in college. It kind of gave me the foundation from a mathematics standpoint and how to investigate stuff. Um, But it, it, you know, this, this, these things are not taught in college. So, uh, yeah, I I think he would be somewhat proud. And we've always heard the saying, you know, your A students become great uh, employees and your C students become good uh,
2: CEOs. So here I am. I was the C Uh, student at best. It's like what they say, you know, do you know what they call, do you know what you call the, um, the guy who graduates at the bottom of medical school, doctor. No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh yeah, true. Yeah, that's a good point.
2: It doesn't yeah. matter, man. Yeah. As long as you pass, it's all good.
0: You know how we lasted this long is it? it, it became a passion of mine, and you know I, I have so many people that reach out to me and say, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about starting a business or getting into business ownership and entrepreneurship. You know, what is it? Do you think I should get into? because you know, they're looking for things that are high profit margin or passive lease resistance. And I always give the same advice is what are you passionate about? And whatever it is that you're passionate about, you will find yourself working away on it and it won't feel like work. It's because it's fun. It's, it's what your passion is. And I think that's a testament to how we have survived. It hasn't been all, you know, sunshine and rainbows throughout those 10 years. We've had our ups and downs and we've had our, our touch and go moments. Um, Heck, I think it was 2019, 2020 that was really close to like, all right, I either need to figure out a buyer for this or or give it up and do something else. But I was like, no, no, this is my passion. I really enjoy talking to people. I really enjoy helping people. I really enjoy impacting people. And it's the testimonials that I get back that really keep me invigorated and just push through. So perseverance and and finding a passion. You know, there, there were times that I was working on this until three, four o'clock in the morning. Heck, I've had multiple occasions where I'm working on a project and I just tell my wife, it's like, I'm just going to work through the night. And, you know, next thing you know, you look up, it's a couple of days and your body takes over. It's like, okay, if you don't get some sleep, then bad things are going to happen. But, you know, if it was something outside of this that I just looked at it from a profit margin standpoint, what it can only do for myself or my family, I wouldn't have worked that hard. And. You know, if you want to succeed in in life or in business, you just have to push through those barriers. And it's a lot
2: easier when you're having fun uh, doing it. Well, we're going to get into, for the audience's sake, how to pay off your mortgage in five to seven years without any additional Mm -hmm. income. Stay tuned. We're going to be getting to that. But I want I want first because we're talking about with you, Michael, a business that you started on the heels of a corporate career. Um, Mm -hmm. You've now been in business for a decade. If you had to boil down all of the success that you've been able to achieve in that decade to one key, like what is the one thing you would look at and go, this is what allowed me to be successful?
0: Um, I I didn't take no for an answer. Um, Any setback I looked at as an opportunity. So, you know, we had our trials and tribulations as any business does trying to grow, trying to scale. Uh, trying to reach more people. It, it comes with its obstacles and every obstacle is an opportunity. Um, so I don't, you know, I've, I've tried to, I, I don't go to a psychiatrist, uh, but, you know, it would be interesting to try to do a deep dive and some introspection of why I'm wired this way. But anything bad that happens, uh, I look for the lesson in it where a lot of people, unfortunately, most people look at obstacles and roadblocks as a sign, you know, either from God or, or whatever, you know, a sign from the marketplace that, okay, time to give up. I look at it as course correction. It's feedback. It's like, okay, this route didn't work, but there are other routes that I need to figure out that might work. So you know, I think it's just really looking at it as feedback versus failure and trying to determine what is the best way to course
2: correct and keep moving forward. So how do you define the word success?
0: I would say the pursuit of happiness. It's not, you know, there's this illusion out there that once you get to a certain level, then that's it. There's happiness. I don't think that's, depending on how you're wired, I don't think that's happiness. For me, I, I feel like I've got to constantly be pursuing something. Um, you know, I've had multiple conversations over the years of, you know, five, 10 years down the road, if you sell this thing and make buku's of money, what are you going to do? You're just going to sit back. And I honestly, if, if I were to answer that question, I think it would be tough for me to sit back and just relax for six months. Um, life would be different. No doubt. I uh, wouldn't have to worry about money anymore, but would I sit back and do nothing and just toil away on the farm? No, I would find another project and another passion to pursue. So you know, it's it's just uh, I feel like happiness is the pursuit of it, and it's it's finding happiness inside of the journey of trying to accomplish whatever audacious goal that you have. That's where I'm most satisfied. Um, honestly, I, it gives me anxiety to feel like okay, if I ever reach the mountaintop, and let's say we sell the company or we partner up with venture capital firm, a bank, or whatever it is, um, it gives me anxiety because then it's like okay, what do I do next? where I'm most happy
2: is in the pursuit of it. So by that definition, the pursuit of happiness is success. Do you consider yourself mm-hmm. to be successful?
0: Hmm. Depends on the the circles that you walk around. You know, if I walk around with my old high school buddies or even sometimes my old college buddies. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it, depending on how you look at success. If you look at it from a monetary standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. Successful depending on those circles. But I also have, you know, other people that I lean on that I now call friends, mentors, consultants, and uh, wow, (laughs) they they would feel broke. (laughs) You know, I've got one buddy, Ryan, probably worth $750 Like I mentioned, I I had a mentor back in 2009 that uh, is a billionaire. Um, They wouldn't look at my monetary success as success. So it's all relative, right? Um, You know, now there's multiple forms of success. It's You know, being well rounded, not just from a financial standpoint, but are you fit? Uh, Do you have spiritual success? Are you grounded in your faith? Uh, Your relationships, are they successful? Your relationships, whether it's being marriage, your kids, or, you know, other relatives, friends, and and associates, do you have, are you successful in establishing relationships and building and maintaining those relationships? So, you know, it depends on how you define success. It's broken up into all these different categories, but it's hard to, for me to to get to the point where I feel like right, I've achieved ultimate success, because again, my passion goes back into the pursuit of it. So if I ever get there, then I just feel anxious that you no, know, there there there's you're you're always chasing perfection. I don't think you've ever achieved it.
2: Yeah, I I agree. I think for us as entrepreneurs, and I know that the listeners would agree with this too, is that you can set a goal. Let's say back in the day your first goal was i want to make 6 figures man i want to make 100 grand a year okay you made 100 grand a year what now oh i want to make 200 i want to make 500 okay then you're like well i want to make a million so every time you set a goal and you achieve it that doesn't mean you're done you're always going to set that next one so i think your definition that success is the ability to continue to pursue that happiness i think that's that's really good so with that now let's let's kind of move into some tactics so you're the guy that figured out Kind of accidentally what the super wealthy knew, which is that mortgages are cracked for middle America. They're not good for us. We're addicted to them. But you were in the mortgage business when you found this out, which led Mm -hmm. you to develop the business you've been doing now for a decade and teaching people how to use this HELOC as a way to pay off your mortgage quicker. So tell us the story of how you figured it out. But I'm more concerned about the tactics, but I think it's interesting Mm -hmm. to know the story. But tell everybody that story and then let's get into the tactics.
1: Let's take a quick break to thank our amazing sponsors for making this podcast possible.
2: As an entrepreneur, I know that you have to deal with sales on a regular basis. I mean, every entrepreneur does. And if you aren't paying attention to sales as an entrepreneur, you're not going to be an entrepreneur for very long. But I've got a sponsor of this show called Dub that helps you bring the personal back to sales. If you want to figure out how to improve content creation and improve client trust, uh, improve your sales. Process decrease the sales cycle because we all know time kills deals. If you want to increase client bookings and increase conversions, you need to take a look at Dub. There's a special offer for Dub for listeners to the root of all success at therealjasonduncan.com/slash/Dub and that's D-U-B-B. What Dub does? I've been using this for years. I'm a huge fan, and I'm so honored that they are our uh, primary sponsor of the podcast. But they have helped over 60,000 businesses around the world communicate better to make sales easier, to make sales more personal. And it's built, Dub is built for growing teams. I mean, you can set up video emails, you can set up custom onboarding, you can do admin reporting, uh, anything you need around video and sales and automation, Dub is there. You can try Dub now. Your conversions to sales are waiting. All you got to do is go to the slash dub and there you're going to get 2 weeks for free to try Dub Plus. You're going to get 50% off your first 2 months of Dub. You can you can't beat that. So go check it out. Go to the dub. Dub. Thanks for listening to our sponsors. Now, back to the
1: show.
0: Yeah, and I also want to give credit where credit is due, uh, because as I tell the story, uh, you'll quickly realize that I'm not the guy that discovered this. This has been around for hundreds of years. It's actually what we used to do in this country prior to 1913. What, what I'm about to explain was very normal. And in fact, to this day, it's normal in, in, in a lot of other first world countries. You know, Australia, this is very normal. They learned this in high school. Uh, we don't even learn this in college in the United States, but in, in Australia, they call it a money merge account. So they have the highest rate of second home ownership. Uh, and the reason being is, you know, if you were able to pay your home off in five to seven years, are you looking for a vacation home? Probably. Real estate's a good investment for the most part. So, you know, that that's kind of the next logical pro- uh, progression for Australians is they buy two homes. Now, the average Australian can pay off two homes in average of 14 years. That's what the data and stats uh, support. However, the average American doesn't even pay off one home in 30 because we tend to chase interest rates, not rate of interest. So we're constantly refinancing either to pull out equity or chasing a lower rate to lower our payments. And we start the amortization schedule all over again. So the average American doesn't even pay off one home in 30 years where the average Australian pays it off in 14 years. So I don't want to take credit for the strategy. It was just something that I dove into. and was like, holy crap, you mean there's alternatives to financing real estate than the archaic, inefficient death pledge of a mortgage? Yeah. And, and it, it was a billionaire mentor of mine. He actually uh, owns a hedge fund still to this day. owns a, owns a hedge fund or partner of a hedge fund uh, and was back then. So I was um, a senior executive for the ninth largest lender in the country prior to 2007. Uh, We were doing really well at my office in Charlotte, North Carolina. It was July of 2007. We were doing somewhere in the neighborhood of 500 to 600 units a month. And you fast forward two months. So you're not having to fast forward a whole lot. You go two months later, we were scratching, uh, trying to scratch by just on 50 units. So we had plummeted 90% just because the subprime market completely dried up. And we were a company, that we didn't do a whole, we were a subprime company labeled as a subprime company because we could do what's called alt-A document uh, or alte a uh, income verification. Sometimes it was stated, but less than 1% of our loans was actually those types of loans that you hear about in the media that caused the collapse of 2008. And in fact, I remember, I wouldn't call it a scalding, but you know, the CEO coming in and saying, we're leaving a lot on the table because I'm, I'm looking at all the paper and we're doing all this full income verification paper but we have all these other programs out here that stated or no income no 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 job <laughs> we call them ninja loans no income no job no assets uh, we have all that that we could still do uh, but we're not doing them and the reason by the reason we didn't is you know loan officers take the path of least resistance and they're going after programs that have the lowest interest rates. so if you could prove income then you got a lower rate than those that didn't prove income. So that's by and large one of the reasons why it was that way. But, uh, you know, it was uh, September of 2007, We just kind of saw the writing on the wall that, oh, my goodness, um, how are we going to turn this corner? And came up with a plan that we're going to switch from all the subprime stuff because we couldn't we couldn't sell the paper anywhere. It completely dried up. Uh, Heck, even the company I worked for owned a wholesale company. We couldn't even offload our retail paper to our own wholesale company. There's just no marketplace for it. Mm -hmm. Um, So we decided to try to flip the switch and do nothing but government loans, FHA, VA, USDA, Fannie and Freddie. And that when you take thousands of loan officers nationwide and we had probably 20 some odd branches uh, across the country and thousands of loan officers. And, you know, I remember If I talk to somebody on a Monday, say it's at the end of the month, and I talk to them on the Monday at the end of the month, I could get them closed by Friday. And now we're having to switch it to, okay, you talk to somebody at the beginning of this month, you may not get paid until 45, 60 days later. It was just too much uh, of a mind trip for our loan officers to comprehend. And we weren't getting the job done. And actually, it was on my birthday in 2007, December 2007, the company filed bankruptcy um, let everybody go, no severance, nothing, just said, Hey, wish you the best. And, um, I had a, I'm from originally from Nashville, Tennessee. And at the time I'm living in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I was like, you know what, this is a great opportunity to uh, move back home. Uh, because one, I need some shelter because now that the company went bankrupt between me and my wife, we were killing it, you know, all the way from our early twenties to this point, it was, um, mid six figures. And, you know, when you're, 22 23 24 years old and collectively you're making mid six figures um i don't know about everybody else but i can tell you for me not a good steward of money um so we bought big houses fancy cars lexus uh denali uh escalate so i had a denali and an escalate at the same time it's like you can only drive one vehicle but for some reason i bought two uh <laughs> i had a, a, a custom motorcycle a chopper uh, i had bought that i bought a four-wheeler so just not a good steward of my money. I had lots of them coming in. And just assumed, hey, I'm going to continue to rise through the ranks. And now I'm making mid-six figures collectively. I wasn't myself. I was probably 270 to 300 personally. And then joined with my wife's income because she was a top loan officer with the company as well. Uh, you know, we we're making
2: close to five hundred thousand. lost your job at the same time? What's that? Did you guys both lose a job at the same time to the same company? Oh, yeah. Same oh, company. Every, everybody gosh. got laid off. So, so when did you make the billionaire though? Like, like When did that happen? When did you say, Hey, this is a new thing I can do. So it was about a year later after I moved to
0: Nashville, the company had called and said, Hey, we're going to resurrect and we're going to get the team back together under a new umbrella. We're going to do government loans and we want to bring you back as director of operations. And we want you to open up our Nashville operations. I said, cool, because I'm kind of wasting away in a dead end job. I'm laying tile Uh, For a buddy of mine that owned a tile company, I am also uh, went on board with a broker shop that was also floundering too. And um, yeah, I was just like, wow, I can't believe I go from here to here. And it was broke. I mean, broker than broke. Uh, We had to move in with my parents. My parents had a uh, recently renovated vacant house on the farm. So we moved into that thousand square foot house, could not afford internet, uh, didn't have TV. And... You know, a lot of people look at it like, man, those must have been some depressing times. And and it wasn't. And this is why, as an entrepreneur, I'm so willing to take the risk that I take today because I'm not I'm not deathly afraid of poverty. Uh, been there and it didn't steal my joy. And in fact, it was some of the greatest learning moments of my life and growth moments because we didn't have Internet. We didn't have TV, uh, didn't you know, peruse or browse on my phone. You know, yes, I had an iPhone, but, you know, you're still not really surfing on it. Uh, because you had data limits and all that on it. So, you know, I I, okay. I, I got books. So I read books on financial literacy because I was, I went broke. I'm like, okay, how, how do you make all this money? And now you fast forward, you have nothing to show for it. You know, if I'm going to get back on top of that mountain, I, I need to become a better steward of my finances. So I started diving into all kinds of books. And in fact, I even taught, um, financial peace university at my church, uh, in Franklin, uh, which is, a, a bit of an oxymoron compared to the way that we teach things now. But anyways, um, it, you know, it would it also grew the relationship with my wife too, because, you know, instead of being distracted and talking about business, now we're playing board games. We're doing things to entertain ourselves and, and, you know, going on walks uh, and hiking and stuff, things that didn't cost any money. So our relationship grew. So again, I, I'm just not deathly afraid of poverty. Like most people are because been there and, you know, to be poor in America, is a whole different story than being poor in Guatemala or somewhere else, right I mean you're not really poor. you still got shelter, you still got food to eat, you still got transportation. It just you may not have the luxuries of life. So they called and said, yeah, you know we'd like to get the band back together again I said absolutely because I'm broker than broke and um, the owner so where they got their money was from a hedge fund out of Connecticut. Uh, they pledged twenty five million dollars of operating capital for us to resurrect and the owner of the hedge fund his parents lived in nashville so from time to time he would come into nashville to visit his parents and knew that he had a a branch there that he could pop into and you know really check up on his money but sometimes mentor me as well and it was one visit where i had hit him with it and i said listen john you're you're worth at the time 600 million dollars and birds of a feather flock together so I need to know what you know, and if I could get in your sphere of influence, I'd love to do mortgages for them because if they're doing mortgages, they're doing big mortgages. Big mortgages are big paychecks, a lot of profits. You get your money back faster. And uh, he said, that's all well and good. He said, be honest with you, Michael, we we just don't do mortgages. I was like, that's kind of what I thought. You pay cash for everything. He goes, no. He said, understand what my business model is. It's a hedge fund. We are the kings of making money off of other people's money. So we still leverage other people's money. He said, we just don't use a mortgage um, the way that you think we would. And I was like, okay. I was like, what do you use? He says, simple interest lines of credit. He said, like, a good example would be a home equity line of credit. You could use business lines of credit, commercial lines of credit, but any kind of simple interest open-end line of credit, that's what we use to finance real estate. And I was like, that doesn't make sense. I said, because a HELOC is a credit card on your home. And all I'm doing is regurgitating the way I was indoctrinated when I, in my upbringing in the mortgage world. So everything was scripted out. We had some of the best sales training. I still know the seven steps of the first call, the six steps of the second call, the five steps of overcoming an objection. I know what the, the five benefits are, payment cash, tax term deferral. I mean, I can recite it all just because it was ingrained in me like a boot camp. Uh, but one of the things that we would also tell our customers is, oh, you've got a HELOC on your home. We need to refinance, get some cash out to pay off that HELOC because that's like having a credit card associated to your home. And credit cards are bad.
1: Uh, so I was the
0: complete, yeah, I was the complete opposite back then than I am now because it's almost like being in the Matrix. You got two pills. You got the red pill and the and the, the blue pill, and I don't remember what color it was that you take to, to kind of opens you, your eyes up. But that's essentially what happened to me in two thousand and nine because he hit me with this. He said, "To be honest with you, Michael, mortgages are a financial crack to middle America. The poor can't afford them, and the rich don't use them." Understood the poor comment because I wasn't getting people qualified that were poor and, and couldn't have the uh, ability to repay. They couldn't prove their ability to repay from an underwriting standpoint. So I understood the poor part. I was like, the rich don't use them. I was like, and so I started investigating this whole HELOC thing and I, I uh, hired a CPA, an actuary, and a buddy of mine who's now a partner in the business today. His name's Matt Workman and just said, this is what the rabbit hole I'm going down. And it's totally against the grain because this guy just basically called me a dope dealer, right? He's like, You're a financial crack dope dealer. That's what you're doing. But it's profitable. It makes us all a lot of money. And yeah, I'm sure you're helping some people out along the way. And and I thought I was, you know, you know, if you if you get somebody a loan, even back in the subprime days, we had what was called a net tangible benefit test. So you had to be reducing their payments, reducing the term, giving them some cash. There had to be some kind of financial benefit for them to get that loan. Um, so somewhat responsible there, but if you know how it really works. You're like, yes, I might be improving your situation a little bit compared to where it was, but compared to where it can be, it's, it's a game changer. So, uh yeah, he told me I was a, a dope dealer and me and, and a small team went to work on it to investigate it. And it took about a year, maybe a year and a half. And I was just like, I can't poke any holes in this this makes financial sense. This makes mathematical sense. It's completely logical. And so I convinced my wife. uh, So after we were broke, we finally got back on our feet and now we can buy a house again. So we buy a house and I wait six months um, after we bought the house because that's how much seasoning was required at the time. Or at least what I thought at the time is you needed six months seasoning before you could refinance your home. And so I contacted all these banks and said, here's what I want to do. I want to take my home that I only have 10% equity in and I want to refinance the entire mortgage into a home equity line of credit. And I can't tell you how many. It was at least 10 banks. And, and, and every time I contacted a bank, I'm talking to a banker. Then I'm talking to the branch manager. Then I've got to talk to an executive at that bank before somebody can understand what I'm talking about. And finally, I got this one credit union on board. They're like, oh, OK, because there, every, everybody hit me with the same thing. It's like, you know, when you think of a home equity line of credit, you think of a loan just on that equity portion of your home. Nobody thinks of it in first lien position, something that can just completely refinance your existing mortgage. You know, right. I give an example. Let's say people have an FHA loan that they closed on that has mortgage insurance, but now they've got 20% equity. You refinance that mortgage to a conventional loan to drop the mortgage insurance. It's not based on the 20% equity you had. They just literally substitute your existing mortgage with a new one. Hence the name Replace Your Mortgage. So I finally found a credit union that would do this and convinced my wife, here's what we're going to do. Now I know this sounds totally against mainstream. It's totally against what Dave Ramsey talks about. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to refinance our mortgage with this credit union and make it a line of credit. And then this bank account that we keep putting our money into, our savings accounts and all that, we're going to abandon that. We're going to keep them open. We're not going to close them. But we're going to stop donating our money to the bank at 0.24% for them to just lend it back to us at 5 6% at the time. And I said, instead, we're going to dump everything into this home equity line of credit, and we're going to operate out of this home equity line of credit. Now, I, I will also be blunt and transparent that after I got back on my feet, making more than the average American, obviously, I was director of operations for a, a decent sized lender, um, good salary, good overrides and bonuses. So not killing it, not setting the world on fire probably in the neighborhood of 185 to 210, uh, depending on the year. Um, so I was cash flow positive. I say that because not everybody can execute on this. You, you have to take the first step in, in personal finance and understand what your budget is and not have more going out than what's coming in. In fact, you need to have a margin of what's coming in versus what's going out. If that's the case, then this works beautifully. If that's not the case, then you should not entertain this. Uh, but that, that was the case for us. That we were cash flow positive. I'd lived on a budget and have been ever since because I went broke. I'm like, I'm not gonna do the whole cars and fancy homes and all that stuff again. I'm gonna keep our burn rate low compared to our income. Uh long story short, it took three and a half years to pay off that house. So in twenty fourteen, I was being interviewed, early twenty fourteen, I was being interviewed by a I think it's mortgage success, it was some kind of magazine. It was like a a radio interview that they would post on their website. And they were interviewing me because I was the senior vice president for a federal bank and I was growing branches around the country. And so they wanted to know the secret sauce to recruiting and growing branches and being successful in the mortgage business. And, um, you know, 45 minutes of that very mundane, nobody would want to listen to it. I mean, it's terrible. It's mind numbing information unless you're actually in the industry. However, they hit me with one question. You know, in the mortgage industry, there's probably nothing new under the sun. But is there something out there that people don't know about and probably they should? And again, I'm still making a living doling out mortgages. So I'm like, this is not going to serve me by spilling the beans on what I do personally. But I was like, you know what? Fine. You, you got me in the moment and you've gotten my back, my, you got me uh, against the wall and, and now I've got to say something. So I was like, well, I don't, I don't technically use mortgages in my personal finance. I'm like What are you talking about? I was like, "No, almost three years ago, I've refinanced my entire mortgage to a home equity line of credit, and at the time of this interview, I'm like, we're, we're within months of having the whole thing paid off." I'm like, "Really? How does that work?" And so I go into it for 15 minutes. So they call me after the fact and said, "Listen, we're going to be honest with you, the first 45 minutes absolutely sucked. It was mind numbing. You didn't have any passion. I was like, "Yeah, I get it." They're like, but the last 15 minutes." never heard of that before most people don't know about it even to this day which astonishes me because we've been at this for 10 years i can't believe how many people don't know about this um, but we noticed your energy level was entirely different and you're passionate about it have you ever thought about turning that into a business i was like no not really you know, i was telling friends and families this but i never thought about turning it into a business a consulting business and teaching people how to do this and so i hired a mentor and we went down to Boca Raton for a week and honestly spent money that we didn't have. Um, I wasn't at the time, huge fan of credit cards. Now I wouldn't say I'm a huge fan of credit cards, but I can, I see how they can be properly utilized for a financial gain. So we put his fee on a credit card and uh, spent a week. And what was cool about him was he said, once you're here, we're not only going to build everything out, but we're going to make money while you're here. And th- that was the God's honest truth. I actually, as we built it out, I picked up three clients that more than paid for his fee uh, while I was down there. And I was like, this is awesome. I, I love talking to people about this. I love the light bulb that goes off when I talk to people about this. And he's like, yeah, you need to start a business doing this. And I did, and the rest is history. Uh, so let's get, into,
2: let's get into tactics just for the final mm-hmm. few minutes. Of our show. So yep. on, a high, on a high level, the idea here is Let's say you bring in ten thousand dollars a month in income. You know, just we we'll okay. use that number is easier. Instead yep. of depositing that ten thousand dollars into your checking account that isn't paying you any interest, what you're doing is you're depositing and you're essentially paying down your HELOC. So you get your yes, HELOC right. first position, you pay your HELOC down ten grand, and because the interest is based on average daily rate and it's not it's not annualized then you're paying interest on $10,000 less on that balance. And let's say you only need to spend, as you said, that gap, you're only spending $8,000. Well, now your interest, your HELOC is $2,000 less than it was the month before. And if you keep doing that, it compounds super fast, and that's how you can get paid off within five to seven years. Is that right? Yeah, to a certain degree. It's it's a little bit
0: more complex than that, and I don't want to make it overly complicated, but it's actually – more advantageous than that. So another thing that HELOC does that a mortgage doesn't is it recasts automatically every single day for free. Now in the mortgage world, you, some lenders will allow you to recast your loan. What recasting means is let's say you got a $300,000 mortgage and you had a piece of real estate you sold for a $100,000 profit. And you're like, you know what, I want to chunk it onto my mortgage. But what I want to do is recast, not not necessarily refinance. I want to recast the amortization on the existing uh, terms back to thirty, which lowers the payment, right? So recasting is highly protected by the mortgage lenders. Some allow it, not many, but when they do allow it, they only like for instance, Wells Fargo will allow it, but they only allow you to do it twice over the lifetime
2: of business with them. And when you do it, it's going to. Do you see the balloons? Yeah, you've got your you've got your <laughs> your your camera turned on to where you do when you do certain finger gestures. It oh really?
0: I don't even yeah, know how
2: to do <laughs> Happy
0: birthday, everyone! Anyways, um, so they protect it, and they, it, it will cost you hundreds of dollars to recast. However, a heloc will do that every single day automatically for free. So what that means mathematically is you start with a hundred thousand dollar balance, and you put ten grand in. Tomorrow, the bank is assuming you're charging you interest based on the 90000 not the 100000 It's not an amortization schedule. A mortgage is an amortization schedule where, you know, you, let's say you do a 360-month amortization schedule on a mortgage, month 242, it's already spoken for. How much of your payment is going to go towards principal and how much is going to go towards interest? The downside on a mortgage is, one, it's very front-loaded with interest. All mortgages are, even 15, 10-year terms, they're still front-loaded with uh, interest. That's where you're paying the bulk of your interest. Most everybody knows that. On a 30-year mortgage, it takes 18 years before your payment is actually affecting more principal than it is interest, right? So all 10 grand of your deposit into a HELOC went to principal first, then your interest is calculated. On a mortgage, when you put money in, money goes towards interest first, then principle is calculated so we're flipping the script right that is interesting Keep doing this i'm gonna we'll get some balloons but anyways <laughs> um so yes you it's every single day and there, there you can gamify this and get more strategic too where it's like okay if i know that money going in suppresses the balance thus suppresses the interest and the time that it takes to pay this off well then i also know the inverse is true when i take money out to pay bills then my balance is going back up and I'm going to pay more interest. So there's ways to get very strategic about this, of of making sure that your money goes in as quickly as possible and comes out as slow as possible. And it's called offset accounting. And it'll actually speed up the process another 10 to 15%.
2: So at replaceyouruniversity.com, you have opportunities for people to hop in there, sign up for courses, watch videos, et cetera. What is kind of the primary way that people can reach out to you to say, I want to do this. I've never heard of this before. Mm -hmm. I want to learn how to do it. What, what's step one? What's the best way for them to do that?
0: Yeah, go to the site, replace your university.com or just straight to replace your mortgage.com. If you go to replace your university, it's going to show you a carousel of all of our five subsidiaries. But what we're talking about today is replace your mortgage. Just go straight to the website. We have tons of free information. So, you can sign up for a free account and we're going to have hours upon hours of free education for you to watch so that you understand this. And then once you understand it, you're like, you know, I want to see if this is a good fit for me. Then there'll be a button there to book a discovery call with one of our account executives and where we will analyze if this is a good fit for you. Cause I've got a partner in the banking industry um, that he's got a really good saying that's not politically correct, but anyways, it, it, it really makes the light bulb go off for a lot of people. It's like this is like yoga pants. Everybody can wear it, but not everybody should. And, you know, there are 70 percent of the people that we talk to that we don't recommend this at this time, because unfortunately, most Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. They're not saving a single penny. But for the other 30 percent that they've I wouldn't consider it mastering their budget, but they make more money than they spend. Then we analyze. Here's what it's going to look like in your situation. And the math is the math. You can. You can dispute, hey, Dave Ramsey said this or somebody else said this. And I shouldn't do this. Just investigate the math. It is what it is. And it's not hard math. We're talking third grade level math here. Um, you know, and the thing is, is you, you look at how we've been indoctrinated for a long time. And I'm not talking about 10, 20 years. I'm talking centuries that we've been indoctrinated of how to look at things that are, are being offered to us as consumers. Um, true story. I went to business school, it was, uh, McCall School of Business, which was named after Hugh McCall. Hugh McCall was the founder of Bank of America. And now on this side of school, looking back, all they were teaching me was ways to sell products that Bank of America wanted their consumers to consume. Right. And yep. what's most profitable is mortgages. So we have been folks. look at all the marketing, look at all the advertising, look at all the, the promotional stuff that banks and lenders do. What is the thing that we always gravitate towards out of all of the interest rate? Yeah, because it's the lowest number. So we we go after what what we think the lowest number is. But nobody's dove into that and really looked at. Now you have what's called a loan estimate. And on the third page of the loan estimate, there's this number on there. It's called TIP, total interest percentage. Now, prior to this regulation coming out and kind of transforming the mortgage industry, I used to call it rate of interest. So if I were to ask you, Jason, what is your rate of interest, you would spit out three and a half percent. Well, no, that's your interest rate. Your interest rate dictates your payment. Time and balance dictates how much interest you're actually going to pay. So what is the rate of interest that you're paying? And nobody can answer that. But it's being disclosed to us on the loan estimate. And on the last page of the loan estimate at the top, it says total interest percentage. Let's say you got a four percent mortgage. It's going to say you're paying sixty two point five percent tip total interest percentage. That's how much it's costing you to finance that house. Now, if we were to buy a car and say, hey, this car is 30 grand, but you're going to pay 50 for it. That's the value of the car, 30 grand. That's the sticker on it. But if you're not paying cash, then we're going to finance it for you and it's going to be 50 grand. How many of us would be like, oh, heck yeah, sign me up for that? No, not if we think about it that way. But unfortunately, we don't think of it that way. We say, oh, it's 30 grand. At what interest rate? What's the payment? Okay, it's $700 a month. Okay, that fits inside of my budget. And we buy it. We have to think differently and start looking at how we finance things differently. So this isn't just real estate. This is car financing can be done the same way. College can be done the same way. Everything that we finance can be done entirely different, not just real estate. And we need to start looking through through the eyes that Australians do, South Africans do, Europeans do. When they look at a house that says, oh, it's $450,000 sticker price, but if I finance it on a 30-year term, it's going to cost me close to $900,000. Is that home worth $900,000? No, not buying it. In America, we do because we look at it and say, $2,500 payment? Cool. Yeah, it fits inside my budget. Let's do that. So we have to start thinking like they do. We also have to start thinking like banks do. So if we start thinking like a bank, then we start earning like
2: banks do. This is uh this is fascinating to me. I I know you've helped me. You directed me to a couple of your your guys that can do to do these, and I, I made a couple of calls to those folks. And so I'm actually looking at buying a house, and I want to use this HELOC as a first lien position. So I am one of your uh, your fans, and I'll be trying to do this on my own, uh, Michael. I want to thank you for being on the show today. I want to tell everybody: make sure you go to replaceyourmortgage.com to learn more about this. And uh, Michael, I don't want to, I don't want to obligate you to this, but I really would love for you to come talk to my mastermind the Exeter club and do some uh, just small group coaching on this yeah. because I think all of us would want to do that. So maybe we can talk about that after the show, about you coming to do this. And, and that'll be a teaser for anybody. If you want to know more about this, you can look at the Exeter club as a way to, to learn how to do this, but you can always go directly to the horse's mouth, as they say, to replace your mortgage.com. Also go follow him on Instagram at, the underscore real ryu the underscore real ryu and ryu stands for result or replace your university and then you can also find them at replace your university on facebook michael i'm going to give you the last word today and i want to ask you this question what is your number one piece of advice for entrepreneurs don't give up that's
0: that's the thing about entrepreneurs or would-be entrepreneurs is. You know, some people are wired this way. Some people like I don't necessarily. Yeah, I guess I I could be honest and say I I am wired this way because, you know, athlete competitive and whatnot. It was just it was tough for me to give up or have something get the better of me or have somebody get the better of me. Uh, I've just always been competitive. But that's the thing about entrepreneurship. It's not this straight line for most people. Ninety nine percent of businesses, you don't go from zero to one hundred million in a straight line. It rarely happens that way. What typically happens is you go from zero to 10 grand to negative five grand. Oh, now you're at 50. Now you go negative 100. That's what it looks like as an entrepreneur. And after the first, maybe even the second obstacle, most people fold like a lawn chair. They just don't have that perseverance uh, and mindset that, hey, this is not failure. This is feedback. The marketplace is telling me something. I need to course correct. What could I be doing differently? And it's scary. You know, my wife, she won't get on a roller coaster just because it's scary. Right. Most people won't take that leap of faith because it is scary. But that's where I find the most growth. And that's where I find ultimate freedom is through entrepreneurship. And that's also where I find excitement. That's that, those down years, those months where it's like, you know, the other thing about entrepreneurship, there, there's been times where as a, as a company and executive team, it's like, all right, let's start looking at yachts. I got a buddy that uh, he's buying his second jet. Uh, his first one's a G four hundred and fifty, but it's he's got to wait eighteen months for it to get built. So he's like, ah, I still need one, so I'm going to buy a Challenger three hundred and fifty now too, so just to get him by to his next jet. There are months like that where you're like, all right, let's start looking at some boats and some planes. And there are other months where you're like, what all can we liquidate? And most people can't live that way, and. You just got to be wired a little bit differently to find that exciting. That's where you grow is when you hit those down months. That's what tests your limits. That's what tests your capacity. And now it's time to go to a different gear. That's where you find growth. It's not in the, the great months. So that's the issue with entrepreneurship. It all starts up here with mindset. And most people go into it with the wrong
2: mindset. Michael, thank you for that advice. Thank you for being on the show today and look forward to talking to you again real soon. Thanks, Jason. All right. Well, there you have it. A wonderful story about a man's perseverance through a lot of ups and downs. And I hope that you go back and really listen to what Michael said about this journey of entrepreneurship, this up and down, up and down. I say this a lot, um, that an entrepreneur has this invisible horizontal line in their life. And the closer you get to that line, the closer you are bankrupt out of business, you know, done. But you as the entrepreneur, the only one who knows at any time how close you are to that line, it doesn't always feel good to be an entrepreneur. So what he started with in our show was I asked him, what is the one key to success? He says, don't take no for an answer. You know, setbacks are opportunities, it's feedback, it's not failure. And then he ended the show with his advice, which is, hey, how do how do we as entrepreneurs survive? We survive by not giving up. So if you're in that struggle right now, if you're in a struggle, you don't know if you're going to be able to make payroll. You don't know what's going to happen next. You don't know if bankruptcy is actually looming on the horizon. Don't give up. This is the life of the entrepreneur. And no matter how bad it is, you're probably not going to die as a result of whatever's causing the problem. And if that's true, then, man, like you could survive. This It's going to go on. So a big thanks to, to Michael for coming on the show. Go follow him at the underscore real R-Y-U on Instagram. Go look up replaceyourmortgage.com. And as an entrepreneur, if you are a male entrepreneur, business owner, and you are interested in looking at a mastermind that can help you level up your experience and get you out of the weeds of daily operations so that you can focus on what's most important in life. I want to invite you to take a look at the Exeter Club. We've made some huge changes for the Exeter Club for 2024, and I think it's right up your alley. If you're a male entrepreneur owning a business and doing somewhere between two and five million on the low end up to 10 or 50 million, That's who we serve in our club. And we do amazing content, amazing coaching, amazing trips and adventures and exciting things that you're going to learn lots of content about how to get yourself out of the weeds and continue to build a company that can provide your family a legacy. So if you're interested, go to TheExeterClub.com. If you're watching this on YouTube, I've got my sweatshirt on today. It says The Exeter Club. TheExeterClub.com. And Exeter is E-X-I-T-E-R. TheExeterClub.com. Check it out. Apply for membership. Let us talk to you, and maybe we'll have Michael come on to do a private little teaching on the Exeter, for the Exeter Club on this idea of how to, uh, how to uh, pay off your mortgage in five to seven years. Once again, big thanks to Michael Lush for being my guest on the show today. Please tune in again next time when I talk with you another very successful entrepreneur about his or her journey to success. Until then, remember, I am the real Jason Duncan, and as always, Jesus is King.
1: Attention business owners. Attention business owners. Feeling burnout from running your business? Uncertain if you're nearing burnout? <laughs> Take our free 10-question business burnout test at businessburnouttest.com to discover where you stand. With just 10 quick questions, you'll learn how to immediately begin making changes to regain freedom and success. Cut your daily operations time in half. Improve your quality of life and prepare your business for your future exit without losing revenue or profit. Visit businessburnouttest.com now and take the test. Thank you for listening to another edition of The Root of All Success with the real Jason Duncan. If you've enjoyed this week's episode, visit therootofallsuccess.com to access the show notes and other helpful resources. Follow Jason on social media at The real Jason Duncan. See you again next time here on The Root of All Success.